Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are studying the 11th parak of Shmuel Bet, which is one of the most well-known, pivotal, sad, and hotly contested prakim in all of Sefer Shmuel. As we discussed yesterday, the story of this parak takes place while the battle against Amun is being waged in the background, led by Yoav. Meanwhile, David is at home in the palace in Yerushalayim. We find that he has just awoken from a nap, and he's walking around, finds himself on the roof of his home, and he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman, woman bathing. David is very taken by this woman, and he finds out that it is, in fact, Bathsheba, wife of Uriah, who is out on the front lines fighting against Amon. Now let's pause here to note that the parak is driving home a point that we touched on yesterday, and that is that David is home rather than leading the battle, which may reflect a broader flaw in David's behavior at this moment, perhaps growing too comfortable in the halls of power. And we continually find David in this parak sending people to do things, which also bespeaks, right? David sent, David sent, David sent. We, we hear that time and again. And it also seems to bespeak a kind of passivity. Maybe David's luxuriating a little bit too, too much in the lifestyle of the king. And it's an idea that's amplified by the fact that we find David having just woken up from a leisurely afternoon nap. The last time we saw a king napping in the afternoon, it was Ishbosheth when he was assassinated. I said then, and I'll say it now, it's, it's rather commonplace for a king at this time to be taking a siesta. It's not intrinsically such a bad thing, but the fact that the text draws our attention to this moment seems to be symbolic. When it was in the context of Ishbosheth, symbolic of him being this kind of ineffectual, passive leader. And in this context, it seems like David is kind of sleeping on the job. He is uh, not really uh, demonstrating the kind of leadership that he ought to in this moment when the nation is at battle, is at war, and that sets the stage for what will come next. David sees Bathsheba, he summons Bathsheba to the palace, and he has relations with her. Shortly thereafter, he receives word from Bathsheba that she has become pregnant. And then David attempts to cover up what he did. He sends for Uriah to bring him home from the front lines. He asks Uriah to brief him on the battle, bring him up to speed, and that's the kind of the, the front that, you know, th- this is why David sent for Uriah. But then, the real reason why is because he then sent Dov- U- Uriah home to be, uh, well, to, he sent him home, expecting that he would be with his wife, that he'd be together with Bathsheba. And then ultimately, when she has the baby, she'll, he will assume that it was a result of his having been with Bathsheba and not anything uh, anything else, anything untoward. However, Uriah refuses to go home. Uriah instead sleeps at the entrance of the king's palace with all the other servants, all the other workers in the workers' quarters. And David challenges him, right? David's obviously frustrated by this. He says, why won't you go home? And Uriah explains, demonstrating great righteousness, great piety. He says, how could I possibly sleep in the comfort of my home and eat and drink in my home and be together with my wife when my brothers are out there on the field, sleeping in the fields and fighting on behalf of the nation. And this is obviously a biting indictment, criticism of David, who is sleeping, whether Uriah knew it or not, on a shot level he didn't know it, but we as the readers certainly understand that here is Uriah, this honorable person who is unwilling to uh, enjoy the luxuries that are right there for him. He's been called home. Pretty much anyone else on furlough would go back and, and uh, enjoy the comforts of home. 
And here, com- contrast that to David, who's sleeping in the palace, indulging his baser desires, not even just enjoying the comforts of uh, his own bed, but even reaching beyond that considerably. And uh, he's doing this while his, his own servants, his own brothers, and all of B'nai Israel are doing the dirty work and fighting on the front lines. So Uriah's response is, I think, meant to further highlight the note that we, with which we began, which is that David is in Yushalayim, and that's the fatal flaw here. That's really the, the essential mistake. It's he's in Yushalayim instead of being where he ought to be, which is among the people fighting the national foe. Now, up until this point, I've presented at least the facts of this parak in a somewhat neutral way. But I, I noted at the outset that it's a hotly contested moment in David's life, and that's because there's an enduring debate regarding the severity of David's sin. Famously, Rav Yonatan in the Gemara says that anyone who says that David sinned is mistaken. Now, it seems clear that David did sin in some way. After all, next parak he's going to say, he's going to admit, I sinned. However, the severity of David's sin is a matter of debate. On a shot level, David had relations with an Ashish Ish, with a married woman, which is a very severe sin. But Pshat means more than just the simplest reading of the text. It also means a contextually informed reading. And up until now, the David that we know, who is faithful to Hashem, who is just, who does the right thing, that David doesn't seem consistent with David that could act in such, uh, in such a way and commit such a severe prohibition and do something that is so obviously immoral. And that's what leads the Gemara and Rishonim and beyond to offer more charitable readings, whereby Bacheva may have had a kind of conditional divorce from Uriah where he, when he went to battle. There are lots of uh, nuances on that. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a conditional divorce. How does that work? What's the halachic mechanism? There are all sorts of explanations. I won't get into all of those details, certainly not here. Uh, there are many ways that David's actions are defended. Uh, and, and the sin is somewhat mitigated. I wouldn't say completely defended, but the sin is mitigated. And these defenses can seem like a stretch. They can seem like pure apologetics. But I want to also hold up the idea that, in, that a pshat reading of David also demands that we read this parak in light of his piety in the prior prakim and, and the way that he comports himself in the remainder uh, of the Sefer and, of course, how we understand him, how we know him through Sefer Tehillim as well. And so I do think there is a, a legitimate reason uh, uh, on, a, on even a pshat level to come to, uh, to try to read this in a more charitable way and, and understanding what it is that David does exactly. But as I said, this is a matter of significant debate. The narrative then continues. We're told that David tries again to get Uriah to go home, to be together with his wife. He... David seems to succeed in getting Uriah drunk, but nonetheless, Uriah is too principled. He will not go home, once again making David look all the worse for it. And then David goes, unfortunately, a step farther down this very dark corridor. And he sends a letter to Yoav, the general at the front, again, fighting the, the great battle. And he tells him that he is to deploy Uriah to the front lines and then to remove, to withdraw the supporting forces such that Uriah will be uh, helplessly kind of abandoned and then killed in battle. Worse yet, David has Uriah himself deliver the letter to Yoav. So Uriah, in being this good foot soldier, seals his own fate by delivering his own death sentence. Yoav follows orders, 
But not exactly, not to a T. He can't really orchestrate things such that Uriah dies and no one else is harmed in the, in the process. So he places Uriah and a group of men in a situation of grave danger, and they are all killed, thus expanding the tragic fallout of David's sin. Yoav sends a letter to David to tell him uh, that these men have, you know, such and such have died, including Uriah, as if to say, uh, this was not just a foolish and costly tactical error on my part as a general. It was my simply following your command, David. David, hearing this, kind of cavalierly says, okay, these things happen. You'll have more success tomorrow. And the parak ends with Bacheva learning that her husband died. She mourns him. And once she's done mourning him, David brings her into his own home. And we are told finally at the very end that God judged David's actions in this episode to be bad. Honestly, I find this parak exceedingly hard to read. On a literary level, David seems cold and detached, even cruel. Uriah is this paradigm of faithfulness. He's this, this honorable soldier, and Bacheva seems kind of caught in the middle. It's hard to totally place where Bacheva is in all of this. It's a tragic and a low moment in the Sefer, but a righteous man falls seven times and gets back and get back and gets back up. And in the next parak, we will see how David rallies, how he rises back up after this very low fall and distinguishes himself, for example, from Shaul, uh, who uh, was unable to take ownership of his flaws. As we will see, David is able to say those powerful words, I have sinned. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.